April 22nd, the year 3030. I take one last look back at the small dorm room that has just enough space for my slim bed, a trunk for my clothes, and a desk to study at. I turn to follow Rustin down the hallway. Every article of clothing I own fits neatly into the small bag I'm carrying. It barely rubs up against my hip with any weight at all, as if to remind me of how lightly I'm traveling. Rustin is walking in short, clipped steps, and I have to slow my pace to not overtake him. There are so many questions I want to ask. Foremost, simply where we are going. Then, there are other questions whooshing around my head, such as, who will take care of my cat? But of course, she will take care of herself. Will I ever see anyone from my class again, from my team? It's possible this is a solo mission, and I could be dropped into some wilderness somewhere, or an outpost so remote that the way things have been left between everyone I know here will remain as they are now. I will not get to talk to Clancy again. I will not get to thank Aileen properly. I will not get the chance to tell Liam off, and for a second I even see myself punching him again, a burst of anger spiking in my gut. But, as it turns out, all those words left unsaid will not remain so. Rustin brings me out of the dorm into the back of the building. From there, we wander over to the stables, where our horses, including my own mare, Moon, are housed. She nuzzles my fingers as I put on her saddle and notice there's noise coming from some of the other stables around me. Rustin watches me for a moment as I tighten a strap and says, Don't worry, Rose. We will take good care of her in your absence. She's not coming with me? I blurt, and it feels like all of my blood is rushing to my feet. But Rustin has already moved on to the stable next to mine, to deliver the same message, and I can hear a similarly crestfallen response. I lead Moon out of the stable and find that five others from my class are apparently going to be on the same mission as myself. To my relief, Aileen and Clancy are among them, to my surprise, Stella and Blake, and much to my chagrin, there's Liam, grinning widely, untouchable as ever. God damn it, I think to myself. Did Melton lie to me, or did they not really know how serious Liam's violation during the mission really was? I will wait for a quiet moment to talk to Rustin about what happened. There is no way they'd let him come on any mission in the field, especially one where Clancy was coming too. Or would they? Liam is smart and fast and among the top in our class. Would they be willing to look past any misstep, no matter how egregious, if they needed him for something? We get up on our horses and follow Rustin out onto a thin path leading west. We ride for about an hour until we get to an open field. A group of Constitute recruits is waiting for us, ready to ride our horses back to the barn. When I slide off Moon's saddle, I want to grab her neck and not let go. Why can't she just come with me? How will I even get around if I don't have a horse? Most of the UCOA is built for horse travel. It just doesn't make any sense. Then, I see it approaching, 
and I understand. For one, the horses would not fit onto the small, bird-like machine that is slowly coming towards us. Its wings are spread wide, unmoving, like the dead thing that it is. Dipping in and out of the clouds, it slowly comes closer and closer to the ground, until it roars down onto the gray strip of hard land on the other side of the field and comes to a stop. In the silence, I give in to my impulse and grab Moon's neck, pressing my face against her and telling her that I'll be back soon. The sound of the flying machine has made her nervous, and she's gently shifting from one hoof to the other, and I can't help but think that this is ruining the moment, but then realize it doesn't matter. I will see her again when whatever we have to do is over. Rustin said they'd take good care of her while I'm gone, implying I'd return eventually. After one last stroke along her flank, I hand the reins over to one of the new recruits, who smiles at me, happy to be making the trek back on horseback rather than walking, as I imagine this is how they arrived this morning. I have one just like her. The woman smiles at me. Don't worry, Harper Rose. I promise I'll keep her safe. I don't ask how she knows my name, since it probably has something to do with the Ronan Kane thing again, and turn to face the others. All of us look like we're in pain. Even Liam's expression gives him away as human, as we all start walking behind Rustin to the bird-like thing. All our eyes are glued to our horses, as they are mounted by strangers, some more willing than others, and slowly start to drift down the path towards the forest. When the horses disappear from sight, we look forward, Rustin strutting up ahead. Without hesitation, he starts walking up the stairs that are extended from the door of the flying machine, and the words of my father, belligerent words from my childhood, about constitute conspiracies and mechanical birds you walk into and fly away in, pop into my mind and I wonder how much he really knew. Inside, there are small windows from which we can see the field, the forest, but little else. Rustin instructs us to put all our bags at the back of the machine, and for each of us to take one of the wide, plushy seats. I go all the way to the back and take one at the window. There are two in each row, twelve in total. Besides Rustin and us, there is someone sitting at the very front, dressed strangely in a white jacket that has golden stripes along its sleeves. He's holding onto a large lever, and the front of the machine is covered in buttons and controls. It's strangely familiar to the flying machine that went down over Stalford a year ago, but much, much larger. Even though there is enough room for all of us to have our own row of double seats, Clancy plops down in the seat next to me. Another man comes aboard, dressed in a similar white outfit as the man up front, who has now begun fiddling with the buttons that are giving off strange beeping sounds. The newcomer shows us how to strap ourselves into the seats, using giant belts which he calls seat belts, and this makes me seriously wonder if they don't think we're going to make it, that this machine will tumble from the sky, and if so, I'm not sure these belts will help very much. But then the man goes on to tell us that we can call him Helmut, and that sometimes during a flight, 
the air can be a bit bumpy and that the belts are there to make sure we don't fly out of our seats or hurt ourselves. None of this makes me feel better. The idea of air being bumpy doesn't make sense in the least, and when I saw the machine land, I found it to be very smooth, gentle almost, as it touched onto the ground. But I don't want to look like I'm not ready for this mission, and so I just smile at Clancy, and he smiles back at me, both of us in grim determination to be okay with whatever comes our way. Then Helmut smiles at us and tells us there are snacks available during the flight. The tenor of his voice and the look in his eyes betray that he thinks of us as children. In this moment, he is not far off, as we are all wide-eyed and terribly confused by pretty much everything we're seeing. Now we're going to take off, Helmut announces, and takes a seat beside the man at the front. The man at the big lever turns around and waves at us. His palm is shiny and foreign, like he is part of the machine itself, and my mouth drops open. What have I gotten myself into? The flying bird, or aeroplane, as Rustin explains it's called, as we start moving, makes a big turn, and instead of simply flying straight up into the air, bumps along the long gray strip of hard land at higher and higher speeds. What is happening? I hiss at Clancy under my breath. Harper, I have no idea. When I look over at him, he's clutching a seatbelt around the buckle as if to make sure it's securely tightened. The haunted look from the other day has once again descended across his face, and without thinking, I grab a hold of his wrist. It's okay, Clancy, I tell him. I mean, look at Rustin. He's reading. I almost laugh at this, and Clancy turns to watch our teacher two rows away as he turns a page of what appears to be some sort of manual. And if Rustin doesn't seem afraid, then we don't have to be either. I loosen the grip around Clancy's wrist, as if to signal this to mean that we can relax. But Clancy, though his mouth is formed into a brave smile, retains the haunted look in his eyes and pulls his hand up just enough so that I am forced to let go of his wrist, and his fingers clasp around mine. His grip around them is so tight it almost hurts, but I can see how afraid he is, and so I interlace my fingers with his, and then, suddenly, the front of the aeroplane tips up. The rumbling beneath us stops, and we are lifting up into the sky. Despite myself, I can't help it and a joyful giggle begins to bubble up through my throat. Flying through the sky is a wonderful feeling, like a wild horse rise where you're still just barely on the side of in control. My giggle appears to be contagious, because soon Clancy too is giggling, and his laughter enforces mine, and soon we're both shaking with it, unable to stop. After a while, Rustin turns to us and gives us a stern look. Maybe keep it down, you two. Not all of the recruits appear to be having the easiest time with this new venture. But there's something conspiratorial about the way Rustin says it. A man that is always serious and never playful. That makes me wonder if this warning to quiet down is genuine. Clancy and I force ourselves into calm, and after several failed attempts, finally relax into flying. 
A carpet of clouds hovers just beneath us, and we are both marveling at them through the tiny window when we can hear Helmut unstrap himself from his seat. At the sound, both Clancy and I steal glances in between the seats to the front of the plane, just in time to see Helmut hand Liam a small brown bag into which he vomits loudly. The smell instantly engulfs the entire room, and Helmut, with a pinched look, takes the bag, stalks to the back of the plane, and then we can hear a whooshing sound, followed by airstreams being released from above, in an attempt to make the smell go away. I really wish he wasn't here. I watch Clancy narrow his eyes as he watches Liam in the very front of the plane. That makes two of us. We're talking quietly, hoping the moving air from above keeps our conversation only between us. What happened, Harper? Clancy looks down at his lap. I mean, you had him by the neck. His face. Did you hit him? I did. A moment of silence as I tried to find the words to explain. If I don't tread easy, this could end in confrontation. He tried to remove you from the mission. There is no easy way to say this, and this is the best I can come up with. But what do you mean? Let's just say I think you should be extremely careful around him. Our fingers are still loosely entwined, I realize, and I squeeze his hand, trying to convey that I'm being serious. There is something very wrong with Liam. I pause and squeeze Clancy's hand again. He wants to hurt you, I think. At the very least, he was willing to hurt you just to win the final mission. But you stopped him. Clancy's palm is sweating against mine. I did. I muster up a weak smile that I hope makes Clancy feel reassured. They know something happened. But at this, Clancy just looks confused. Then why would he be on this mission, especially with us, with me? His voice is edging into anger, and I need to pull him back. I don't understand it either, but we have to assume that they have some sort of reason. Clancy looks back toward the front of the plane, where Liam is resting his face in his hands, trying to recover. Then he looks towards Rustin, and Clancy shakes his head. I mean, it's not like I have any say over it, or any power of changing anything. He pulls a sweaty hand from mine and rubs his face with it. I guess I'll just have to deal with him being here. I mean, we're stuck with him for now. I nod. And wherever we're going, we just have to be careful. We have to stick together. Clancy seems balmed by this, and both of us settle into our seats, and before we know it, we're dead asleep. There is some beeping sound when I wake up, and it feels like the front of the plane is slightly dipping forward, I clutch the back of the seat before me and try not to scream. But then I see that Rustin is standing at the front of the room, and that he looks completely calm. Well, I hope you all had a nice little nap, he says and looks us over as if appraising us for the first time. We are about twenty minutes away from landing, so I will make this quick. We are here to help the state of Germania. 
which, as you know, is part of Europa, to safely deliver a package. You have all been chosen for various reasons, for various strength you have exhibited throughout your training, to be part of this specific mission. The Germanians requested that students of the Constitute be a part of this mission as an international favor, so to speak. The people of the UCOA are known to be very in touch with nature, far more so than most people and certainly their own police and military are, since they are used to dealing mostly with people living in cities. When we land, you will be escorted into a sealed vehicle. There is no need for alarm over this. We simply thought that it would be easier for you to acclimate to your new surroundings in a stepwise fashion. You will be brought to a hotel, and then tomorrow you will be introduced to the local police liaison who will show you around town and familiarize you with all the customs of the Germanian people, at least as much as is possible in a single day. After that, your mission will begin. Here, Rustin pulls out a map from his bag and starts pointing to places on the glossy paper that mean nothing to me. We will land in Minga, and from here we will travel on foot through these mountain ranges and dense forests here, crossing the border from Germania to Australia and into the sovereign state of Lickenai. From there, you will get transported to the coast, at which point you will enter into the journey back across the Atlantic Ocean and to Kanda. Kanda has agreed to hold on to the package until it is safe again. Did he just say until it is safe again? All our arms shoot up at once as a single flight across an ocean has bolstered us with courage or perhaps fear enough to not hold back any questions. All other details will be explained to you during your immersion training tomorrow. And with that, Rustin takes a seat once more, and then without hesitation, he falls asleep, just as the flying machine starts to jolt up and down uncontrollably. Are we falling? I hiss at Clancy, once again clutching the seat in front of me. No, I don't think so. He looks over to Rustin, who is still asleep. Did I tell you how Poppin and Layla got ousted by the strangers yesterday? I can't believe this was only yesterday, but I shake my head, ready for any distraction from what I'm assuming is the bumpy air outside. In the middle of the mission, they decided to get busy behind a bush. No. I can't help but laugh. Well, they were worried that if one of them got taken, they'd never see each other again, because clearly it was some sort of test. Here, Clancy nods towards the others in the plane, because he is right. As far as I can tell, everyone except for Blake made it through yesterday's strange experiment. So then, one of those strangers starts screaming Hyacinth at Poppin, and Layla, mind you, they're both trying to get back into their jumpsuits at this point, starts yelling Hyacinth back at the stranger, thinking that maybe she can counteract it. I grunt in laughter. Layla would do that. Needless to say, they were both taken away by the guards. Clancy pulls his mouth into a grimace. Do you think we'll ever see them again? I shrug. I hope so, but... I trail off. Poppin saw how Trellin got busted. Clancy mumbles quietly. Oh, yeah? Apparently, she tried to talk to Liam because she was so scared. But he more or less ran away from her and hid in a big group. 
Poppin knew it was him, but for the strangers, it was too hard to tell him apart from some of the other men to risk hyacinthing the wrong guy. Why am I not surprised? Gara, she was terrified. Clancy says quietly, and neither of us feels awkward when he says this. Up here, I somehow actually feel like Gara is closer, and the idea of this warms me and layers courage onto me. There's something between Clancy and myself, and it's hard to explain as we sit next to each other, quietly enduring the loud, rattling sounds of the plane while being thrown up in our seats as far as the belt allows for it. I can almost sense Clancy's romantic feelings receding away from me and something else taking their place. I saved his life, he knows that now, and on such uneven footing, no romance can stand strongly. He forever owes me now, or at least until he gets the chance to save my life in return. He would always feel like he has to be good to me, or better than I to him, and this would accumulate in an exhausting quest to please me until it fell apart amidst that exhaustion. And so this other thing that sprouts between us is one rooted in a sense of shared determination and a willingness to blindly defend one another. We will keep each other safe, and maybe, one day, if Clancy does get the chance to save my life, we will once again be on even ground. Until then, we will both be watching Liam and anyone else that may want to harm us closely. When we land our procession stalls by the gate, as Liam once again becomes sick and has to sit down to recover, this gives us a chance to take in our surroundings, something I'm not sure Rustin planned for, as he nervously keeps asking Liam if he's feeling any better yet and is ready to get going. The room we were herded into is large, with impossibly tall ceilings. We can hear other aeroplanes roaring through the sky outside, though we can't see them, as night has somehow already fallen in this place. I wonder how long we were asleep, and try to feel in my body if I've really been asleep for twelve hours before arriving here. Finally, Liam is ready to walk, and, letting him go first, we slowly make our way along a long hallway and are shuttled directly into a big room with wheels. It's kind of like the aeroplane, and we all take our seats. The windows are blacked out, and as hard as I press my face against them, I cannot see through them. Bros, stop leaving greasy nose residue on this poor man's van windows, please. Rustin says as he rounds out the group and gets into the van. Where to? The man in the front looks at us through a mirror and smiles. The Tsiglahof. Rustin replies in a strange accent I've never heard him use before. Clancy looks at me, and I shrug. A partition comes up between the driver and us, and we are basically in a tiny room stuck with each other in silence. The room starts to move and I see that a belt like the one in the aeroplane is hanging above my shoulder, and I strap myself in. The ride is short and boring, since no one is letting us see anything as we move along, but I try to remember how many turns we take, just in case we get lost and have to return to the plane without the help of Rustin. We arrive and are brought into some sort of underground facility that is cold and echoes strangely when we get out of the van, as Rustin called it. 
There are vans in all shapes and colors placed neatly all over the place. Rustin brings us up a flight of stairs and into an area that looks strange. Everything is very clean. We stand in line and all of us are handed a little hard rectangle called cards. In Germania, this is what keys look like. I'm trying very hard to keep my thoughts calm and to receive new information with a sense of interest rather than suspicion, but some of the things are very strange. To get to our rooms on the tenth floor, we go into a small room that shoots up after hitting a button with the number on it. Rustin tells us to go straight to bed and that our wake-up time is six sharp. He also mentions without subtlety that a guard will be placed at the end of the hall to keep an eye on us. Your police liaison Lars will show you around plenty tomorrow, so we don't want you exploring on your own. From the sound of it, the city's police force has quite the fun schedule for people who are visiting. Rustin says this like it personally offends him that we should have any fun while we're on a mission, but then he bids us good night, points to the guard sitting on a chair at the end of the hallway, and then, without another word, slides his card into a slot in the door and disappears behind it. Our little group stares at the number scribbled onto sheets we were handed, and we start to drift towards our rooms, like baby birds whose mother just left them alone in a field. Uneasy steps and a lot of double-checking our numbers until we arrive at our respective doors. We find our doors, and Clancy smiles at me reassuringly before he uses his square to enter into his room, the one right beside mine. Then I plunge my own card into the slot in the door, and a green light appears, and the door clicks open. Just as I am about to enter, I hear a clicking to my right, and when I look, I see that Liam is in the other room next to mine. I quickly go inside and lock the door behind me. Then I throw my bag onto the ground and burrow under the sheets of the giant bed. But I can't sleep. It's very windy that night, and even though I can't leave my room to explore the outside, the dark, dense tarps that cover the windows shudder with the moving air outside. I slide out of bed and tiptoe over to the window. Then I crouch down to be eye-level with the bottom of the tarp, and I catch glimpses of what the world outside looks like. There are random glowing letters stuck to the buildings. There are vans zipping by silently, an orange light emanating from a pipe that comes out of their tail end. Everything is moving quickly and is so bright that after a few short moments of this, I feel overwhelmed and start doubting if I should be here. Suddenly tired, I stand and move away from the window and take the few short steps back to bed, where I collapse underneath the sheets. <laughs>